Stroman holds the 2-2. Swing and a miss. Went after the slider down in the dirt, and Stewart's retired on strikes. A pair of punch-outs for Marcus Stroman, and after allowing back-to-back base hits, three in a row retired by the right-hander. Marcus Stroman has now struck out three and set down nine straight since the walk to Odor. He's getting better and better as this game goes on. The one-two swung on a miss. Stroman struck him out. Got him with a slider to end the long inning and leave the bases loaded. Stroman ready. And the one-two to Davis. On the outside corner, strike three called. What a performance by Marcus Stroman tonight. He gets Davis looking on what should be his final test of the evening. He's fired eight innings of one-run ball. A superb outing by Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman with a gem here today, allowing just a run on eight hits. 3-2. Swing and a miss. He got Nunez down on strikes. Stroman extremely effective through six against the Boston Red Sox. He has fired six innings of shutdown baseball. 2-0 to Mercer popped up. Can of corn, center field. Teoscar Hernandez is underneath it. He makes the catch, and on his 101st pitch of the night, Marcus Stroman ends a 1-2-3, bottom of the seventh inning. New studio, same podcast, couple old friends with me, Ben Nixon-Smith, Shai Davidi. I'm Arden Zwelling. It's At The Letters, brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger. Fellas, it's trade deadline week, or at least the seven days leading up to the trade deadline. I want to get both your opinions on this market. Let's talk broad before we focus in on the Blue Jays. When you look at this market, buyer's market, seller's market, you look at the way that MLB is in 2019, pretty polarized. You got teams at the top of the standings who are really good. A bunch of teams at the bottom standings are really, really bad. So there's probably like not as many buyers out there, which you, you know, would think would make it a buyer's market. But are there that many high upside players available beyond Marcus Stroman? Who are, you know, are we like Zach Wheeler is not going to move? Is Noah Syndergaard going to move? We'll see. Trevor Bauer, we'll see. Beyond Marcus Stroman, who is really out there as a starting pitcher? So that would kind of make it a seller's market. To me, what's really interesting is that we've seen two teams jump already in the market with the Oakland Athletics acquisition of Homer Bailey and, and the Small Boston jumps. and the Boston Red Sox's <laughs> acquisition of Andrew Kashner. What kind of jump are we talking about here? I don't well, know if that's big. Well, they, they acted quickly, right? They didn't play it out to see if they could get somebody with some more upside. But what they paid in an acquisition cost is to me particularly fascinating because they essentially paid nothing. They didn't get tremendous value. I'm not suggesting that they did, but they wanted to make an incremental gain with a minimal spend. I wonder if we're just going to see that as a bit of a trend over the entire market. Every year, it seems that teams are more and more reluctant to part with their prospects, which has made things obviously more difficult for sellers. And I wonder if that's maybe a leading indicator of how tough it's going to be if you're a selling club to get an impactful type of prospect. Yeah, it's going to be tough, I think. And, you know, you hear names like Forrest Whitley and Kyle Tucker, and you just don't even imagine that those guys are moving. It's hard to imagine that the top, top prospects are going to change hands. But I do think it's still a seller's market because, you know, Arden, you mentioned a guy like Trevor Bauer with Cleveland playing so well, probably harder for them to move him. The same applies to Madison Bumgarner in San Francisco, probably harder for the Giants to justify moving him. I still think they should personally, but they might not. So I think that those factors combined with Wheeler probably make it a little bit harder to find that pitching. 
I think it puts the Blue Jays in a really good spot. Now they just have to make the most of it, which they didn't do last year with Hap, but they are in a pretty good spot. Well, in terms of starting pitching, you know, beyond Marcus Stroman, right? And if some of those names aren't going to be out there, and if Matt Boyd isn't going to be moved by the Detroit Tigers, then, you know, beyond Stroman, Mike Leak, <laughs> Mike Miner. Mike Miner, having a pretty good year, high spin rate. Yeah. Another year of control, but... If you're a contender, Jason Vargas can interest you in Jason Vargas. Oh, hey, no. man, he, if uh, any of their media members yeah. in that, that choir is going to get out of line, he's willing to knock, knock them the bleep out, out yeah. bro. So I can't imagine a team not making a leap at some point. If you're the Houston Astros or if you're the Minnesota Twins or if you're the New York Yankees or whoever, you're going to want a dude. Right. You can't incremental gain your way into a more advantageous position. And, you know, congratulations to, to the Red Sox and the A's. They made those little incremental gains. I don't think that they've substantially impacted their chances of making the postseason, but a team that's really in it to win it. And if they don't make a meaningful move, like how are you selling that in your clubhouse? So players are going to be like, Hey, we're, we're here busting our asses trying to get W's every day. And what are you doing to help us? By the same token, if you are Oakland or, you know, Tampa Bay or Boston, like, are you going to mortgage part of your future for the chance at a one game playoff that might be on the road and you might have to fight to get into that playoff and not even be able to start your, you know, your new toy in that game? Yeah, exactly. And I think that Phillies would fall into that category, too, even after adding, obviously, Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto and having a huge offseason. They're not in this point now where they can justify taking a huge plunge as far as their prospects. So that does reduce the buyer market to some extent. I still think there are enough teams out there, whether it's the Cardinals that could use pitching. You know, you look at, of course, the Astros come to mind. The Twins could really use it. The Yankees. So if you're looking to take that next step and win the World Series, Marcus Stroman and Ken Giles can help you do that. And so I think that's that's where the Blue Jays are in a good spot because these guys, they aren't just innings eaters. They aren't just someone to make sure that your other, you know, four starters don't have to go on three days rest like they're difference makers potentially and they have the extra year of control where you're not just even if let's say you go for the wild card and you fall short you still have them for next year well that's kind of where the market's shifted right like it's no longer just rentals getting moved like now it's teams are looking for those guys with that extra year of like now you're looking at when guys come down to okay he's got one year left on his deal that's when you start you know talking about oh are, you know is this guy getting moved but that's on the the trading team, right? They're looking to manage the asset. And if you're in the position of a team like the Blue Jays or the Texas Rangers, you're thinking, all right, what are my chances that I'm going to win with this guy during his period of control? And if you're not, you might as well sell a year and a half as opposed to two months, right, of club control, because that's where you're really leveraging the asset. And you know, as much as there's a suggestion, yeah, the Blue Jays should hang on to Marcus Stroman or keep him. If you're not extending him, the value drops after July 31st. Same with Ken Giles, right? The amount, what you're selling afterwards drops dramatically in value, regardless of how good they are, because it's only one playoff run at that point. So if you're a team in that, the position that the Blue Jays are in, you know, this is the time to strike. This is when you're getting the most back in return. And the Blue Jays, as we will all know, will speak specifically to them. They're in a situation where they need to add impact young pitching to their organization somehow, some way. And if you're going to do it, you're going to do it via trade because, you know, the draft obviously has a different horizon and timeline. Marcus Stroman and Ken Giles are your best chances at getting it right now. 
for Strowman in particular, like I feel like a safe target in terms of a price would be two top 100 prospects. Is that kind of what you see as the ballpark, or do, is it just one top 100 guy and then some high upside pieces from you know deeper down on a team's prospect rankings? I think the floor for a return would be one top 100 guy, like one guy that you can reasonably project as a contributor in the major leagues and not just a number five, but mm-hmm. let's say a number three starter with a reasonable certainty that'll reach that threshold. Or, you know, I don't think it has to necessarily be pitching. I think we'd, you know, obviously all agree that that's the biggest organizational need. But if you have an outfielder with incredible, incredible upside at double A, all right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either. But yeah, I think to answer your question, you need one guy who's a top prospect in the top 100, basically, and then surround that with extra value. So maybe that's, you know, one 70th ranked and one 80th ranked, or maybe it's one 40th and two extra guys. But I think you find a way to get some of that top value. And historically, what you see in those packages is that when you diversify the package, you have a better chance of success. And a lot of times, it's not even necessarily the primary guy that you acquire that ends up being the piece that works, right? Uh, there are lots of examples uh, of trades. You know, just think about Cleveland when they traded away CC Sabathia. You know, the primary piece they got back from Milwaukee was Matt Laporta, who busted. Right. And then Michael Brantley ended up being the guy who saves that deal. Right. So that's why multiple pieces often make more sense uh, because sometimes the top guy in a trade isn't necessarily the one who pops. How confident are you that a team is going to step to the table and do that? Like, I think that the Blue Jays have communicated to every team interested in acquiring starting pitching. Here's what the price would be for your team specifically for Marcus Stroman, or here's what it would take to get this discussion moving. Clearly, no team has come to them with that yet, because if they did, the Blue Jays would say, great. And they would take that spin off to four or five other teams and say, we got something we like. Step up or forever hold your peace. That clearly hasn't happened yet. How confident are you that, you know, by July 29th, July 30th, July 31st, that's going to happen for them? Well, I think they're going to take what they can get. So I think I think they're going to trade him. <laughs> but then point. it's versus the cost of like Shai was saying of, you know, like, do you keep him or do you have to trade him right now to, you know, take advantage of having that extra year of control? Like how much does his you know value drop versus, well, we don't love this return that's available to us right now? I think now if you can get 80 percent of the value that you believe he really, really warrants then that's more than 100% of his value next deadline just because you're dealing with right. those those two pennant races. So I think as long as you get close, like 80, 85%, whatever it is, you don't have to get to the exact you know dollar per war of now it lines up perfectly on our spreadsheet. But if you get reasonably close, I think you have to make that deal. Yeah, I mean, they've got to move him like this. We can bring him back and maybe we can talk about re-signing him. There have been no discussions between the sides uh, as best as I can ascertain. Like, that's not happening. You can't bring him back after going through this process. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be nonsensical for them not to trade him at this point. In terms of w- how other teams are reacting, I mean, I've spoken to people from three different clubs who say the Blue Jays have an incredibly high asking price to the point of perhaps being unreasonable right now. Uh, and then I just looked at that as that's typical negotiation gamesmanship, right? Everyone's you're asking here, the team's asking here, and then it's a game of chicken as you approach July 31st between who's going to budge more. That's where we're at right now. And I think Wednesday will probably be Marcus Stroman's last start. The Blue Jays won't push it much beyond that. At that point, 
the teams will have had a good period of time to take a look at him after the little pectoral cramp thing. They will have seen him against good against the Yankees, good against a bad Detroit team, and another outing against Cleveland. They'll have all the information that they want in terms of where he's at right now. I think at some point, somebody's going to say, all right, we need to get this. Here we go. He looked great in Detroit, man. Like That was like a vintage Strowman start where he's messing with his deliveries and his timing, different arm slots. And like, obviously, like Detroit is barely a major league team this year. But like a, he that was, you know, as good as I've seen him in a while, like a little bit selfishly, I want to see him go to Houston because I just want to see what their analytics people and what their pitching people can do. Like I was mentioning mm-hmm. to Shy, like if they can fix up Wade Miley, like <laughs> what are they going to do with Marcus Stroman, this yeah. guy who's got like six different pitches and arm slots and deliveries? If he was traded to the Astros, I think he'd be open to that stuff. A, because what player wouldn't be when you look at this track record? <laughs> Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Ryan Presley, Wade Miley, like all these guys have taken steps forward since joining Houston. So I think Marcus Stroman would look at that and say, well, I want to be a part of this. But he's also a pretty open-minded guy when it comes to changing his approach and when it comes to analytics and the role that they have. Um, as I mean, you've written about that, Arden, the kind of the way that he's let that impact his sure. actions on the field. So I think that that would be really interesting to see. But the Yankees would be interesting. Like really, even if he goes to Oakland, like even if there's some like totally unexpected suitor that emerges, yeah. Marcus Stroman anywhere is pretty interesting. Houston would be a really, in some ways, ideal spot for him because he slots in behind Cole and Verlander. And he's just just in the perfect spot in that rotation. It's not he won't be asked too much, but he can still have a major impact along with those three guys. You'd give you'd have three playoff performers in a row to start off a playoff series. I think that'd be a, a great fit. But I'm really intrigued as to how the Blue Jays end up selling this because this is not going to go over well here, right? I think there's a, a portion of the fan base that understands where they're at and feels that, you know, this is imminent and needs to be done to time with the core. But there's a sizable contingent of fans, at least on Twitter, and I know that's not necessarily representative of the entire fan base, that is pretty upset that this is even a possibility. And they they see Stroman saying that he loves the city and wants to be here, and they don't understand why it's happening. And so once the dust settles, I think this is going to be a very difficult one for the Blue Jays to sell unless they get a, a, a Grand Slam prospect or piece back that everyone says, okay, we get it. Well, and it'll get worse before it gets better because the first thing Marcus Stroman's going to do wherever he ends up is say some stuff, right? And I could be wrong, but <laughs> I'd imagine the comments are going to be pretty fiery, you know, yeah. once he is no longer wearing Blue Jays uniform every day and like running into people from the organization, I bet you he's going to say some things. And then, yeah, you might have to watch him in like game four of the ALDS pitching for another team as a baseball fan in, in this city. And the reality is like this front office is not popular. Like they can't even DFA a player who hasn't played. <laughs> Played, hasn't been effective in four years in Dalton Pompey without getting huge pushback. And to me, that was a totally justifiable decision that still mm-hmm. generated all kinds of pushback. I'm like, wow, what's going to happen when they trade Marcus Stroman for prospects that no one has heard of? Because we will not have heard yeah. of these prospects. Like maybe maybe we will have. Hopefully we can do some research in the next little while, read up on those twins prospects. But I don't know. There's a good chance that they acquire some outfielder on a ball that 
we and our audience have never heard of. And we're, we're at the moment, we're not going to know no. if that is a good return <laughs> no. or not, right? Like when Jay Happ was dealt and they got Brandon Drury and Billy McKinney, it was, okay, let's learn as much as we can about these guys, right. see where they're at, do some research on them, and then we'll see going forward. And as we sit here today, we can look back on it and say, yeah, it's not a great return. But at the moment, at the time, we said, okay, this could work out. And there's like another timeline where we sit in these chairs in 2021 and, you know, Brandon Drury's put it all together or maybe Billy McKinney has. And then we're saying, oh, OK, the Blue Jays did well there. Like in terms of like, you know, sports commentary and fandom, like you're such prisoners to the moment yeah. and you have to like make these sweeping, you know, assessments of things like in the moment. We won't know when Marcus Stroman is traded, whether or not it was a good trade or not. Well, even if you're a club executive, you don't yeah. know, right? You're betting on your future value projections and your performance projections and all that stuff. So, you know, you may acquire enough surplus value at the time of the deal to say, hey, we did a great job with this. But if that doesn't translate into performance on the field, once it happens, once you start playing the guy, I mean, it's all irrelevant, right? Value only happens and value only matters if a player actually performs. So, uh, you know, the running evaluation of it is really fascinating, but I think ultimately the way that you have to look at it is, is this a deal that really pushes the entire endeavor forward? And I had an interesting conversation with someone over the weekend in Cooperstown, and I was saying, well, why aren't you extending Marcus Stroman? Like Marcus Stroman can work within the timing of the group. You know, you're still maybe at the back end of the deal. He's starting to enter some decline years or isn't performing at the same level, but it's a piece that can carry your staff through the looming transition. And the counter argument was, what if you're just re-signing him for years where you're not ready to win? And even if it's three, four years, if like, if you're not ready to win during that period of time, what are you actually accomplishing by extending him? And so whatever piece or pieces they get back has to advance the timeline in some way that those pieces will be ready to win with the group once the collective has gotten up there. Blue Jays have other problems if they're not ready to win in 2021 and 2022. Yeah. Like the clock's ticking on Vlad. It's about to start ticking on Bo. Like it's ticking on Biggio. Like this thing needs, like you said, needs to start advancing. Yeah. And that's where the easiest thing to envision is that the Blue Jays go out and get some pitching that's close to the majors because that would be the easiest path to seeing this team as a contender again. Um, you look at the offensive core starting to emerge. They need that pitching, especially at a time that you have some of their prospects dealing with injuries. I mean, Ryan Baraki just coming back, but Patrick Murphy still sidelined. You have Julian Merriweather now in a rest period. So, of course, that is a need. But I still think you can't pigeonhole yourself and say, oh, now we need a third baseman for this guy. And we need a left-handed reliever for this guy and a starting pitcher for this guy. But that's where they need to go eventually. Here comes the pitch. Swing and a miss! Ken Giles lets out a yelp as he clinches his fist and pumps it into the air. He strikes out Mookie Betts to finish the ball game. Ken Giles, his 97th career save. Swing and a miss! Ken Giles comes in and he blows away the side. Stoic Giles goes with the 0-2. Swing and a miss to finish the ball game. Cool, calm, collected. Ken Giles, undeterred with LeMahieu in motion. Strikes out Morales to wrap up the win for Toronto. And a 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss to finish the ball game. It was a little dicey down the stretch, but Ken Giles preserves the save and he cashes in a 5-2 to 
winning edition of Blue Jays baseball. Shutout victory number two in a row for the Toronto Blue Jays. Behind the work of Aaron Sanchez, Tim Meza, Daniel Hudson, Joe Biagini, and Ken Giles, who stays perfect. 27 out of 27 last year and make it 32 in a row. At the Letters brought to you, of course, by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger with the available FX4 off-road package. Everything needed to get maximum fun out of every adventure is in the FX4 off-road package. Speaking of adventures, Ken Giles has had some adventures throughout even just the last 12 months. Like, think about where he was at this time last year when the Blue Jays acquired him. In the minors, having fights with his manager, Fights with himself coming off the mound, struggling with his performance, clearly needed a change of scenery, comes to Toronto, and all of a sudden he's, you know, one of the best closers in baseball, really. The Blue Jays don't have that many save opportunities for him. One of the best high leverage relievers in baseball, you know, whipping 99 mile an hour fastballs, a wicked slider, lots of swing and miss. This is a asset that should get the Blue Jays a lot at the deadline, I feel like, with how he's pitching right now. But there has to be a lot of buyer beware in terms of his history and where he's been at not that long ago. Even more so just physically based on how the past month and a half have transpired to him with that stint on the injured list and then the massage that left him with some elbow inflammation coming out of the all-star break. It's the opposite intended result of a massage. <laughs> exact <Yeah>. opposite. <laughs> well, I mean, look, uh, at least he didn't uh, break a bone the way Carlos Correa did during yeah. his massage, right? Uh, these masseuses, are, man, they're getting after it one way or the other. <laughs> that but, correct? Really? Right. Wow. With, with Carlos Correa. That's insane. It definitely is insane. So if you're looking at the market right now with Giles, if you're looking at him, you're, you're asking yourself, what exactly am I buying? Like, how healthy is this guy? And I'm sure that this is, it, you would be pouring over those medical records extremely closely. And I wonder if you're the acquiring team, if so one way or the other, you're factoring that risk into the, the buying price. And I wonder if that impacts the Blue Jays' decision-making in some way. Because while I think with a starter there, I mean, obviously with, with a reliever too, the extra year of control really matters. But an impact closer, you would rather acquire him via trade and pay him through arbitration than try to sign uh, that guy on the free agent market. So I still think the Blue Jays could do well with him, even if you're only selling one year, maybe in a way that's different than if you're trying to sell off a starting pitcher. But ideally, you're trading him in the next week or so. But I do think it's going to be a little bit tougher than that for them than it otherwise might have been. Yeah, it will for sure. And I think when you look at the two relievers that will probably be traded in the next week or so, Daniel Hudson and Ken Giles, with Hudson, he's kind of middle reward, middle risk, middle price, right? Like you're mm-hmm. going to get back another Jacob Waggis pack maybe for Daniel Hudson. And that's fine. But with Giles, you have so much more risk. I mean, there's a chance that you acquire him for a steep price and he gets hurt. Or you acquire him for a steep price and then he's facing Houston in the playoffs and he just doesn't perform. I mean, we've seen that before and yeah. we've seen the the kind of struggles that, that he has gone through on the mound in the playoffs. So those are possibilities that you have to face. But at the same time, to me, the easiest possibility to imagine is that you acquire Giles for a pretty steep price. You manage his workload carefully and you see whatever you can get out of him in the playoffs. And he's probably really good. 
So I think that that's where the temptation to acquire him will exist. That's why I'm of two minds of it as an acquiring team with like a reliever at the deadline, right? Because you would hate to pay a really high price for a guy whose like elbow explodes or, you know, his like production takes a turn, his effectiveness takes a turn. And you're like, oh, now I'm out like my top 100 guy that I paid this price for. But, but if you are going to the playoffs, you need to build out your bullpen. Because of that volatility, that volatility is inherent in the relievers you already have in house. And there's no team in baseball that like today can say, oh, yeah, I'm totally confident that my bullpen is going to be tremendous two months from now in October. Like that's when you're acquiring Ken Giles for. And that's probably why like you won't see a move until the 31st, maybe the 30th. But I would say on the 31st, because teams are going to wait as long as possible to acquire as much information as possible and to give him as much time to, you know, kind of show the whatever the true colors are of his health or of his performance. Uh, so it's like I am of two minds on it. Like you have to get that guy, but it is also like so risky the price you're going to pay. I wonder if because of that risk that maybe it's a team like the Dodgers that ends up trying to add him. And the Dodgers, I mean, they're set with Kenley Jansen, obviously, but getting the ball to Kenley Jansen, if you had another piece like a Ken Giles in there, I think obviously that's making you deeper. And for the Dodgers, it's not about getting to the playoffs for them. It's not about getting to the World Series. It's all about winning that World Series. So if you have that extra elite arm, who's getting you a couple key outs late in the game in the seventh or eighth inning, that's helping you. And that's really bridging you forward. And if this something does happen to Ken Giles, it's not decimating you in a way that if you're say the Atlanta Braves and you really need that closer and you get Ken Giles to be that guy and then he's not, I mean, that's hurting you in a way. So, uh, you know, I think that there are a number of different ways this can play out and I think that market can be a little bit deeper than just the teams that are looking for a closer, because I do feel that if you're really trying to get over that hump, you know, you want an arm like that just for the seventh or the eighth. So you can really start to shorten games. Yeah. And at that point, too, you might be putting Giles in more of a position to succeed, you know, mm-hmm. especially in his first couple of playoff outings. If it's not, hey, you need to go and shut down the heart of the Yankees order but it's the fifth inning. There's already one out. We just need to get out of this jam for us. That might actually help. But, you know, it's an interesting dilemma for the Jays now in the next week or so, how they handle his workload. And I just wonder if... No more back-to-back-to-backs. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's that's off the table. But here's a question for you guys. Like, Let's say that Ken Giles on Friday night saves a game and it takes 23 pitches. Twenty. Let's go 25 pitches. Not pitching tomorrow. What if there's a save opportunity the next afternoon? Daniel Hudson, Joe Biagini, David Phelps. Totally depends on how he feels. I think you have to trust him at that point. It's too risky, man. It's too risky. is, Is it though? But then if you're an acquiring team and you see that, you're like, well, when we play three in a row in October in the ALCS or NLCS or the World Series... I need to know that I could pitch that guy three days in a row if I need him in October. We're just saving and, him for you, LA. We're saving <laughs> yeah. him. We're keeping him fresh for you. But if, you, if you're not doing it now, how do you know you're doing it in October? How do you, and how do you know that he's going to be good doing it? So to me, it totally depends on where he's at. If he tells you, I can take the ball, you have to give him the ball. Because otherwise, I think you're just doing nothing but raising uh, red flags for the other clubs. But, you know, Giles, you, what's he going to say? He's going to say he's good to go. Of course. Right? 
I think that if if he wasn't right physically, he would say, right. look, I need a day. Agreed. It's Agreed. tough because no pitcher is ever right physically, right? Like every pitcher is always hurt. But they know, they yeah. know this is a, generally they know I can pitch through this, this I better not. Right. You make a good point that October baseball is different than, you know, July baseball and August baseball and September baseball. Like we have seen over the last couple postseasons, like bullpenning is very much a thing in the postseason. And you are going to be like, you're going to have some high stress, high demand situations where like you are getting extended beyond how far you have normally pitched in the regular season. So as an acquiring team, I don't even know how you can have that certainty that a guy is going to be able to withstand that. Yeah, it's tough to come by, that's for sure. But I think it's a really interesting dilemma for the Jays, potentially. And I'm guessing that, you know, if they win on on Friday night, for example, and Giles goes 20, 25 pitches, I, I would guess that there are people in that organization who would hope that they don't have a two-run lead the next day. Because that's that's not an easy call. Right. So we talked about Stroman. We talked about Giles and Hudson. The other two guys I think we should make note of, Freddie Galvis and Eric Sogard, who seem kind of similar, but maybe aren't, because Freddie Galvis has that club option for next year. Eric Sogard, like, purely a rental Eric Sogard a guy who like I remember asking about him like even before the all-star break maybe even in June and it was uh it's not really much of a market out there I have to wonder if that's changed because he's kept hitting and he's you know can play a bunch of different positions for you and obviously is great in the clubhouse Freddie Galvis similar you know not in you know he's not going to be a huge bat for you going forward but plays great defense man has been such a rock for the blue jays at shortstop all season and a great veteran leader in the clubhouse with the club option for next year as well i mean i think those are two guys that should return something for the blue jays yeah i think the question right now is are you getting like a c plus prospect or a d plus prospect for them you know there's not a ton of value that somebody's going to give up for those players but to me the thing that i keep thinking about is how the one deadline impacts their fates because typically those guys would be an August type of acquisition, uh, a waiver deal, and you're not necessarily burning a roster spot for an extended period. Maybe, you know, a, a need arises and you pick that guy up then. But because there's no second chances in August, all your shopping has to be done in the next week. So if you're a team that's not certain about your middle infield situation or you, f- you don't feel good about your depth, you know, someone like the Oakland Athletics or Milwaukee Brewers, you know, you, you get one of those guys, you park them on your bench, you use them as you need, and all of a sudden you're protected if something goes awry. So I think that that's probably the scenario under which one of those guys gets dealt. And increasingly, the sense I have is that Bo Bichette's promotion is directly tied to the Blue Jays' ability to move one of those guys. So the faster they can move one of those guys, the sooner that we're, we see Bo up here. Yeah, and I think all of that makes sense as far as the value. I mean, they're not going to get a difference-making prospect for these guys. But it is, in my opinion, like if you're an acquiring team, these are guys you should want. And last year, we saw Steve Pierce here, and he went on to win World Series MVP. I mean, you can be a role player yeah. and make a yeah. huge difference. So I think Either one of these guys could help. Sogard probably more so with the bat. Galvis more so with the glove. But they both offer pretty complete skill sets, like modest, but complete skill sets. And I think they would help someone. And those are the little incremental gains that if you're a contending club and you're designing your team for October, they help. 
right? Maybe Freddie Galvez gets to that ground ball late in the game. That helps change things. Maybe Eric Sogard grinds, gives you one of those at bats where he grinds down a pitcher that helps set up an inning as a, you know, a pinch hitter for a pitcher or something like that. So those are the more of the sort of October roster configuration trades rather than, you know, the, an ad that's helping you get to the postseason. Yeah. We saw Steve Pierce on the cover of Sports Illustrated <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after the run he had with the Red Sox. If you're the Blue Jays, and like, I totally agree with you guys. Like if it costs you a Corey Copping or a, Demi, you know, or Malloy, like make that deal. Absolutely. Yep. If you're the Blue Jays, do you have any concern about the subtraction of, you know, two guys who have like, they haven't exactly carried the Blue Jays, but they haven't exactly not, you know, they have been <laughs> really important. Like think about where this club would be without Freddie Galvis's April and Eric Sogard's May. And Sam right? Gavilio's season. All right? year. Yeah. So you're subtracting like two guys who've been really, really good for you Two, you know, leaders, veteran presences, guys you want the clubhouse around your young players. Are you concerned at all about subtracting that or is it outweighed by the fact that now you get Bo Bichette up here and you have the room to add him? I mean, to me, it's the less or the more that they're playing and the less that Bo Bichette is playing, the more you're hurting yourself in the long term, right? The rest of this season is about just finding out and giving reps to your young players. And Bo Bichette needs to be a part of that. The Blue Jays need to start getting a read of how his defensive play at shortstop is going to play at the big league level. Is he a shortstop? Do they have to move him to a different position in the infield long term? You're not figuring that out in AAA. Everything you need to know about Bo Bichette, everything that Bo Bichette needs to know about himself, he's figured out at this point. Everything else for him and for the Blue Jays has to be determined at the big league level. So the sooner they can start giving him those reps, the better off they're going to be in, in the long term. So, you know, as much as what you said is true, sad as that may be, <laughs> um, and this is no slight to those guys because they've been terrific and far above expectations and are fully deserving of all the credit they've received. Yeah. Ultimately, they are detrimental to the long-term plan. I hope they get traded to contenders because <laughs> yeah. I want to see these guys on playoff they deserve teams it. contributing. Yeah. Like they yeah. deserve, at this point in their careers and what they've done this year for this ball club, they deserve to go to Oakland or you know, you know Milwaukee, whoever, and go try to chase a, a pennant. Yeah, it's interesting with Bichette too because this season has offered such a reminder of the learning curve that even top prospects require at this level. We've seen it with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. We've seen it with Vlad Jr., of course, Biggio at times, uh, Danny Jansen, basically name a Blue Jays prospect, and they've had their ups and downs this year. So Bichette won't be an exception to that. I mean, you, you have to imagine that at a certain point, whether it's this year or next year, he's going to falter and need to make adjustments here. So yeah, this is the time to figure that out. And hopefully while he's doing that, Freddie Galvis is hitting bombs for someone clinching playoff berths. Tired of subscribing to multiple streaming services to get your sports fix? Introducing Sportsnet Now. Live stream the entire MLB postseason and entire World Series, over 500 NHL games, Raptors and NBA, and much more, all in one subscription. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. Get the best bang for your buck with the sports streaming subscription that gets you the most content. Visit snnow.ca for more details. 
All right. Thanks to Shy for joining us. You know where to get him at Shy Davidi on Twitter. Uh, Going to be very interesting to follow uh, the trade deadline with him and yourself. We have a couple other Blue Jays notes that we should uh, make note of. Dalton Pompey, primarily designated for assignment by the Blue Jays, ending uh, you know a pretty long odyssey for Dalton Pompey and the Blue Jays' forty-man roster. Like you think about it, this started in twenty fourteen, right. like when he was rushed through four levels. Of, so this is pre. Blue Jays playoff years, like the, the kind of like contemporary ones, right. which feel like a million years ago. This was before that. This <laughs> yeah. was a year prior to that, that he was added to the 40. And now he's coming off uh, some split reactions to it, I would say. You kind of tipped your hand earlier. You think it's no big deal? Not really. I mean, <laughs> for it to be a big deal, doesn't he have to be a better player? Well, he hasn't had a really opportunity to show what kind of player he, he is. Has, he's out of so, options. He's literally had so many opportunities. He's out well, of options. Since he's been so hurt that I think I had True. in my piece, like since the beginning of 2017, he's made like 300 plate appearances. Right. So he really hasn't demonstrated the player that right. he is because he's had so many injuries. Which is fair. So he hasn't had the chance to show it on the field, but he's been almost a decade in this organization. I think he's had chances and for a time he was regarded as one of the best prospects in baseball and he just never delivered on that. And that's okay. That happens to prospects. Sometimes guys just don't deliver on their promise. And at this point he looks like one of those guys and maybe we'll be proven wrong and he'll bounce back. But I don't think you need to rush that guy to the major leagues. It's not that dissimilar to like Dwight Smith Jr. Right. And the, you know, the difference is the passport. Really? That's a big one, right? It's a big difference. <laughs> For a lot of people, and people remember Dalton Pompey stealing those bases in the playoffs, right? They know he's from Mississauga and they have memories of him. And like that residue, it, like that sticks with you, right? You know, Dwight Smith Jr. never had those moments for the Blue Jays, but like in terms of, you know, future value, in terms of, you know, present ability, like Dwight Smith Jr. was, it was a similar thing with him, like kind of hanging on to the edge of the 40 man roster there until he couldn't any longer. And, you know, one of the great things about Blue Jays fans is that Blue Jays fans obsess over these tiny transactions. And I think that's great. <laughs> I love that. I mean, when Ryan Goins was was let go, that was yeah. a big deal. Uh, when Danny Valencia versus Chris Colabello in August of 2015, that was a big deal. That's great. I mean, we like we like those discussions. I think it's cool when fans do, too. But ultimately, I just think the amount of hand wringing that happened <laughs> around Dalton Pompey getting taken off the roster like this is not someone who is showing he belongs on a big league roster. No. Not to say that he could never show that, but he is certainly not showing that he belongs on a big league roster. So, okay. Uh, to me, I'm just like, all right, fine. He's not there. And, uh, you know, I think he really, he was hard done by, by the organization in 2014, like at the absolute, like complete expense of his development, he was right. rushed through four levels, right. And brought to the majors from like high A in the course of six months. And then 2015, Hey, here's the keys to the starting center field job. Uh, like, you know 30 minutes from where you grew up like in a season where we're expected to do pretty well uh good luck right and it didn't go well in that first month and then kevin pilar took over that's how long ago this was that like this was the kevin pilar era began yeah when the Dalton pompey era ended yeah kevin pilar took over Dalton pompey went off into like the minor league wilderness and never got another shot so in a sense, he was hard done by by the organization, but in a sense, they gave him a lot of chances in that he's still on the 40 man roster last week. Yeah. You know, like they still kept them around through all of that. This is a new regime. These are new guys in charge. He's the old guy's prospect. This past offseason, they could have DFA'd him and they didn't. And instead, they lost Travis Bergen to the San Francisco Giants, nearly la- lost Jordan Romano. 
they kept him around. That tells you something about the fact that, you know, the Blue Jays are sticklers for depth, but they also believed there was high upside talent there and there was a potential that someday he could put all these tools together. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to go back to last offseason because then that was their time to potentially DFA him. And I wrote at the time, I thought they should DFA him. And they chose instead to keep him around. And like you said, Romano was taken by the Rangers, Blue Jays for a time, lose control of his development. What's going to happen there? So there's a cost there to keeping Pompey around. Now he's off the roster. I think we'll clear waivers. We'll see what happens. If you're the Baltimore Orioles, like what do you have to lose? <laughs> if you're the Kansas City Royals, right? And like, you know, you're like, if you're the Orioles who have given Dwight Smith Jr., who I just yeah. mentioned, like more than 300 plate appearances this year, and he was in the same situation, right? Like he was on the fringes of the Blue Jays roster as, as kind of a fourth outfielder. You know, if you're the Royals, you're running Billy Hamilton out there every day. What do you have to lose? I mean, other guys are on waivers too. I choose one of them. <laughs> I mean, honestly, and it's no offense to Dalton Pompey, but like, what is he showing? I'd rather have someone who's striking out 10 batters per nine at double A. But those like deep, deep, deep in the weeds of a rebuild teams, like don't they exist just to take gambles on these like high upside potential guys? Like, you you know, I feel like you would have to canvas some like scouts and evaluators. Right. But I think that right. a lot of them would say that Dalton Pompey has higher upside than Dwight Smith Jr. has. We like we don't know if either of them will ever, you know, become regulars in ML. I guess Dwight Smith Jr. is a regular. He sure is. <laughs> but if I'm the Orioles, like I I optioned Dwight Smith Jr. and I bring in Dalton Pompey. I just added another young, high potential outfielder. Like if you're one of those clubs, you just gotta bet on like ten of these guys. You're just following around every other MLB franchise, just like cleaning up the crumbs that fall off their plates. Why not? Man, speaking of which, have you seen what Asher Wojciechowski is doing in Baltimore? No. He actually looks like he might be the one in 10. Like he's pitching pretty well. Right. Uh, it's only been like three starts, but he's doing really well. But uh, yeah, to your point. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I guess I would debate the premise that there's high upside here. Interesting. Like I, I just don't see the where like, switch hitting outfielders who can play all three spots, who can, you know, who run well and steal bases and, you know, have demonstrated not recently, but have demonstrated that they can hit for average and power. Don't just fall off trees. He doesn't really hit for power. He hit a home run off Felix Hernandez that I will never forget. <laughs> I won't forget I was it either. There. I, I will know. never forget that I, home I, run. I, I remember that very well. I think you wrote an article about it at the time. There's a deep drive to right. Dalton Pompey with his first big league home run. Than King Felix. Somebody get that baseball for him. Here's the 3-1 pitch. It is swung on and belted. Deep right field. Dalton Pompey. That's your first big league home run. And you did it off of Felix Hernandez. And there's nobody there to celebrate. And they are giving him the silent treatment. <laughs> Yeah. That was a big deal, but that was also five <laughs> years ago and it was one swing. I mean, everyone hits home runs. If you're going to like hitting for power in the major leagues now means you're probably hitting 30 bombs. Pompey is not doing that anytime soon. I remember asking Michael Saunders about that. This is how long ago this was. I was asking <laughs> right. Michael Saunders like, and he was like, oh, I've never seen Felix give up a home run like yeah. that. And 
That was a long time ago. Was that Mariner Saunders? Yeah, or I he I think he was with the Jays oh, okay. at the time, right? Wow. But yeah, he was reflecting on his time with the Mariners, right. with Felix Hernandez, and now Michael Saunders. Uh, like I'd have to look it up, but pretty sure out of affiliated baseball. Yeah, I think so. A lot has changed, so I just don't see Pompey <laughs> as that same high upside guy he was in 2014. Uh, I think for another a lot of fans, it's just like another piece of 15 and 16 washed away, right? Marcus Stroman's going to get traded. Yeah. It's like another piece gone away, and like Aaron Sanchez is like. You you know, kind of in the woods right now, right? Like, you know, it's we're getting down to like the right. last few members of those years that like regenerate a lot of interest in this team. Who else is even left? You mentioned Sanchez. Yeah. If Pompey is gone and then Stroman's you know who's left, Joe Biagini's left. That's true. He was there in 16, <laughs> right? That's true. He might be the longest tenured Blue Jay before we know it. Him oh. and Sanchez. Oh, dear. <laughs> crazy oh dear uh ryan barucki back on the mound which is nice to see this is a guy who at the end of spring training uh the club told us yeah he'll probably miss a start and they were like all right yeah he's gonna miss two and then like two months later it was where's ryan barucki like what's happening here turns out he had a bone spur in that left elbow still in there might have to get it addressed uh, at some point but he's it's obviously he's well enough to pitch now his first outing back in the majors didn't go the way he would have wanted it to. He clearly couldn't locate and command quite as well as he uh, normally does. Like He just couldn't get his pitches down to the bottom of the zone, hung a few sliders, couldn't really locate that fastball. Uh, but I think that the fact that he was just back on a big league mound was a win because this is a part of you know the next competitive Blue Jays team, or at least the organization hopes that he is. Yeah, he should be. I think if everything goes well, or even if... You know, as long as he continues on the path that he's set for himself in the last couple of years, then he should be one of those one of those starting pitchers on this team, maybe with Trent Thornton, maybe with Nate Pearson. But Barucky belongs in that conversation. And for him just to return, that's big. Like you said, it's not necessarily about the results in one game, but he's back in action. He said he felt good physically. Danny Jansen liked the life on his fastball from Barucky that day. So those are all good signs. And now it's a question of just building on that and building up a bulk of innings. I, I asked Ross Atkins the other day if the Blue Jays are going to limit the innings for Barucky just to make sure he's healthy. And he goes, no, it's actually quite the opposite. We wanted to build up a base of innings. And so that's it. Get out there, pitch some innings. And hopefully, you know, if he has a 4-2, 4-3 ERA, I think the Jays would be happy with that. Yeah. And I mean, even in that outing that he pitched, I mean, only two earned runs, right? Like had an error made behind him and like also had some bad like ground ball luck as well. Like obviously he wasn't at his best, but like you can see kind of the, you know, it's very like Burley-esque, like what he could turn into, yeah. right? Like the numbers familiar share is a lefty, but works quickly. He can attack the zone when he's at his best. And this is a guy who could eat some innings for you. So while he's not going to be like a number one and he's not going to front your rotation, he's not going to blow anybody away. This is a guy who could be like a 180 inning guy for you down the line if he stays healthy, which is something that you need on a contending team. Like you're, you're going to need Nate Pearson to be really, really good atop your rotation. And you're going to need someone else to like be really, really good in the two spot. But you also need those innings eaters filling in behind to help you win. Yeah, it's so true. And I'm not debating you on this at all, but um, it's really funny how 180 innings is now like an innings eater. That's what it is. I know. I, I agree. Yeah. But it's funny because like a few years ago, even 
it probably would have been like, oh, 200 or 10 years ago is probably 220. But now 180, you're a horse. Well, what did Burley do? Like 14 years of 200 innings pitched or something like that? We're not going to see that again. Even like the fact that Stroman did two in a row of 200 plus was crazy. Like it's, I don't, I doubt it'll get there this year just with, you know, having missed starts and, you know, every like the peck thing and he's going to get traded and all that. But like, it's rare to find those guys. I should say, speaking of Stroman's innings, it looks like you're about to win an over under on that one. Am I? Where is he? 117 and two thirds going into Wednesday's start. And He's only got one more start. Where, where did we set it? 120. Oh. Yeah, Brun set it at 120. Good. So it looks like you're, as long as he gets through a couple innings, then you're going to be good to go. Good. What if he like finishes, uh, you know, two innings and then they're like, oh, we've got the trade and they call down like, get him out of the game. I will be thrilled. <laughs> I will be very happy. But yeah, it's, it's looking like a win for you on that one. That's right. Our thanks to Shai Davidi. Get him on Twitter at Shai Davidi. That's Ben Nicholson Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. Thanks as always to our producer, Amal Delich. Thanks to Drew Livingstone for running the cameras here today. See you next week on At The Letters. Thank you.